Welcome to the Catch the Fire Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us, and we hope you're encouraged by this message. Thank you so much, Jess. She gets a good looks from her mother, not from me. She gets a hype from me, her brains from her mother. <laughs> At least I gave her something. Ah, it's great to be in the house of the Lord. It's great to be back with the body that I belong to. This part of the body of Christ. So good to be back. Every seven years, John Arnott uh, and Carol Arnott started this. There are pastors, Kate Nice pastors, and the founders of the Catch a Fire movement, which uh, is a 40-plus-year-old movement. We've been in revival for 30 of those years, and the revival is just going all over the world. We're about to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the revival and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on a local church, everybody, okay? Not a, not a famous ministry, a local church is how the revival began on January the 20th, 1994. A group of people about the size, actually smaller than this group, uh, right here this morning, and the Holy Spirit landed and blasted everybody so powerfully that they have never recovered. Everyone that was there never recovered. And, uh, and it's just been continuing, started with nightly meetings for 12 years. Imagine it went from the Thursday night to the Friday night. Let's go again Saturday night. Let's go again Sunday night. And wow, we're even going to go again Monday night and Tuesday night all the way for 12 years. Just think about that, everybody. It's enormous. That's huge from a local church setting. And uh, that gives us a lot of hope here in this church because this church has a destiny. It's been birthed in this revival and we have an amazing destiny. And uh, since we, be- we came here 15 years ago from Toronto, it's just amazing how the Holy Spirit has just been using this church and individuals who've been part of this church, who've left, those that have stayed all over Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, there's fires that have been lighted. It's just been an amazing 15 years. Even the people who built this amazing building that's now our church family uh, gathering place on, you know, Sundays and midweek events. This house was built, this church building was built by Joe and Sarah Call because of their experience with the Holy Spirit in Toronto with God just give, just wrecking them in his love and in his presence. And also, of course, they have been revivalists and have had a passion for revival in the Triangle region ever since they came down from Virginia. And they placed this building into our hands, everybody. This building's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. They gave it to us for $3.5 million. A small church family like this of course, we have two services, so, you know, but nevertheless, uh, a church that's, you know, was under a thousand people, and yet God gave us the ability to buy and own this building for three and a half million dollars. It's worth 10 million. It was worth 10 million at the time, I should say. I have no idea what it's worth now after COVID, but it was worth 10 million dollars. But Joe and Sarah gave it to us, put it into our hands for three and a half million. Why am I saying this? Because I want you to know you're sitting in a miracle. You are sitting in a miracle, a miracle of God. We couldn't do it, but God did it. We know what it feels like to, you know, in our previous building, which was an awesome building, a tremendous building. And when we were three and a half years old, we were able to purchase that building for $1.4 million dollars. Primarily because God did an extraordinary miracle of putting a check in the mail to us from an anonymous donor for $1.2 million. Come on. I mean, receiving that check was an unforgettable moment. I shall never, with the Holy Spirit's help, while I have all of my faculties, ever and even into heaven, forget that moment when I opened that envelope and we were in desperate need. We had no money at all and we needed to purchase this building or we would have, the previous building, or we would have lost it. And, and there we were able to buy. And then a week later, as if that was not enough, uh, because it wasn't quite enough, God gave us another check for 100000 in the mail. It's like, 
Come on, God, you're so generous, you're so good, you're so awesome. And here we are about to celebrate 15 years in this church. Uh, Later on this month in September will be the anniversary. I think it's September 21st. 15 years. It's hard to imagine that these, this group of little English, Canadian, now Americans, we've, we've been here 15 years and together with many of you have been here all through that time and God's taken us through thick and thin. And it's so exciting to me to think that John and Carol have chosen this place, this room right here, to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the Holy Spirit being poured out in Toronto. We celebrated the first anniversary there. Yes, you can give a hand. Thank you for that side of the room. Yeah, and, and thank you. And, and now, you know, we celebrated the first anniversary thinking, what? We're still here a year later. Five years anniversary. Ten years anniversary. 15 years anniversary, 20 years anniversary, 25 years back in January 2019. What an amazing anniversary that was. And then now, all of those anniversaries, all held in Toronto, all with thousands of people, and John and Carol have decided that they want to come here to celebrate the 30th anniversary because we're in a new stage of the revival. We're in the scattering phase the building phase, the possession of nations phase. Oh, man. And now there's 200 churches all around the world and ministries, and you just think, God, you have done all things well. How many of you know it wasn't you? It wasn't me. It's God. It's God, and we get to, we get to partner with him. All right. I want to speak this morning. I've just was enjoying revving my engines. It's been eight years since, uh, eight weeks since I've held a microphone. So um, that's a long time for me. And <laughs> so it feels like a half a lifetime. Ah, oh, shika banga. Well, the, <clears throat> the title of my message this morning, uh, I'm going to preach in this one and the next one is called The Test. The Test. I bet you didn't wake up this morning and think, I'm going to church. I'm going to get... Go to the meeting. We are the church. We don't go to church. I'm going to go to the meeting this morning, and I'm going to hear about the test. Yeah, can't wait. But nevertheless, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the test. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, in the Old Testament, we read, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Imagine when Jesus is faced with the devil himself on the top, who took him to the top of the temple, and the devil said to him, Hey, throw yourself off this temple in front of everybody. Because the angels of God are going to come under. I mean, they are obligated covenantally to come under according to Psalm 91. And they are going to come under and lift you up. And you will not strike your foot or your head on the stone pavement. You'll be caught in the most spectacular moment in all of human history. What a moment that will be. The angels will arrive for you. And Jesus said, you sh- it is written... You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I'm not doing that. And he knew that if he had done that, he would have leapt to his death. And he didn't come to leap to his death spectacularly failing in front of the world. He came to give his whole life on the cross for us. Jesus has never been into the spectacular because he's spectacular. He doesn't need to do spectacular things because he is the spectacular being. So here we have in the Old Testament, everybody say Old Testament. It says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then here we have in the New Testament, everybody say New Testament. Jesus saying, 
you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So my message this morning is, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Except in this one thing. Come on now. Turn with me to the book of Malachi. Sorry. The book of Malachi. To the book of Malachi. Sorry, Lord. That was a joke. (laughs) Chapter 3 and verse 8. Let's just go back to verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. Mm. Oh, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your presence. Would you open our eyes, the eyes of our minds and our hearts to know and to understand your ways. The ways of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would open our eyes to your word this morning. I pray that you would show us the everlastingness of your word, that that your word is eternal, that it never changes. And I pray that your word would shine on our hearts like a lamp and that you would shine a light on our path and that we would know the way that we're to walk, every single one of us. I pray that this morning, every one of us would pass the test. I pray that this morning you would pass the test that you asked us to test you in. In Jesus' name, amen. Will a man rob God or woman rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Oh my gosh. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, And pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you. So that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground. Nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes. Nor will your business go downhill. Nor will your checkbook be empty and stolen from nor will your family finances be robbed from, nor will the inheritance that's waiting for you from your parents be stolen from you, nor will that promotion be stolen from you, nor will your health be stolen from you. Says the Lord of hosts, All the nations will call you blessed. I said all the nations will call you blessed. For you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Mm. Man, I just love that. You know, Kate and I were in England before our month's sabbatical. Oh, I was telling you about John and Carol and how they set up a sabbatical, which was really, really kind of them. Way back 30 years ago, they realized that When you go at a pace in leading in revival, you need every seven years at least a month off. And so they exampled that and they've given all of us the joy, those of us that are on the team, on staff, and all of the church pastors around the world, all of the teams around the world, uh, directors, pastors, you name it. uh, Everyone is encouraged every seven years to take a sabbatical. So Kate and I just had our third sabbatical. And uh, because we've been part of the team, part of John and Carol's team for 23 years. And uh, we were a little bit late on this one because of COVID. We were 
two years approximately late with this one. So we were really, really ready for our sabbatical. And just before we went on our sabbatical, we were in England and Germany, and we were working with the English pastors. We had a retreat where 60 people came uh, from the, all of the, well, the, the leaders, the couples that lead the churches. They came from all the English churches, and we had a fantastic time with them. And then we went to Germany, and we worked with three of our Catch the Fire churches over there, their leadership teams. And we had a fantastic time there. But what we were reminded of when we were in Germany and in England, most especially in England, is that there's this way, this culture in the United Kingdom that says, when I'm 65 or now 67, I'm going to retire. And in my retirement, I'm going to do amazing things. I'm going to go on a cruise. I'm going to take care of my rose garden. I'm going to take care. I'm going to renovate my house. I'm going to get myself that car I've always wanted to. I can hardly wait for my retirement. I am working towards my retirement. I'm 35 years old, but I can hardly wait till my retirement. Because when I get my retirement, the food's going to taste better. The I'm not going to have to work. I'm just going to chill and I'm going to do all the things that I've always wanted to do. Unfortunately, the truth is, you might be 67 and you might not be working, or you might be 70 and you might not be working, but it ain't going to mean diddly squat if you're not able to enjoy any of your retirement because you're dead. Or God forbid you had some Terrible health situation that's now rendered you incapable of doing 95% of all the things that you could hardly wait to do in your retirement that you put all that hope in. I'm 55 and I look in the mirror and I'm like, who in the world are you? I used to hold a microphone like this and I had a nice bulge right here. Now I look at my arm and I think it looks a bit like a microphone. Something's happening to us all, everybody. We're dying. We're literally dying. Every one of us in this room, no matter how healthy you are, you are on a pathway towards your death. And what you do in this world now is really, really important, everybody. It means something. When I was, when the Lord began to speak to me on sabbatical, he began to speak to me about the tithe. Now, for context, Kate and I have been tithers our entire married life. And we have barely, if ever, missed the tithe by the grace of God. And we set our hearts to be the number one tithers in this church. That the amount that we would tithe, we ask God to let us tithe the most of everybody. I don't know. I guess I just felt like that was authentic. It's a little bit, it just doesn't feel right to preach about the importance of returning the tithe to God and sowing offerings and giving to the poor and lending, which is the system of the kingdom that I love to preach on and that has been meant so much to Kate and I in our lives because God has so prospered us and so blessed us, it would be a tragedy if I didn't tithe, wouldn't it? And you know, here's the, here's the thing, everybody. When you tithe, it is 10%. It never changes. You know why the word tithe means one-tenth? That's what it means. Not 5%, not 6%, not 12%. The tithe is one-tenth, period. And Jess, Jess and I, just yesterday, she said, Dad, you know, I'm, we're talking together and I'm asking her about her emceeing and, and she's asking me about my message and she turns around and, and, and uh, says, what are you preaching on? And I said, I'm going to preach on the test. 
And she says, oh, wow, the Lord's been speaking to me about that. And I'm actually going to share an emceeing about the importance of the tithe and returning the tithe. And so I said, I think the Holy Spirit's been speaking to us all. Because you see, while I was on sabbatical, I almost lost the plot for a few days. Because, and this is why rest is so important in our lives, because when we're working, we feel something good. We feel like we're achieving something. We feel like we're going somewhere. We can't help feeling that even if God's not pleased with us, I'm pleased with me. I mean, look what I'm doing. It's amazing. And I get my, my, my pay or I receive my profits or, you know, I have my worth and there's my team and wow, it's so amazing. But when you're just on your own and it's just you day after day, week after week, and you're doing diddly squat for anyone, panda, you come face to face with yourself. And I don't like everything about myself. In fact, when Jess was preaching a brilliant sermon last week on shame, I sat there watching the TV with tears rolling down my cheeks. And I was a wreck afterwards. And Kate had to literally lift me off the floor. And I've booked myself in with the Kilstras for another session of an issue focus to get rid of a situation. And I was supposed to have gone last Friday night, but for different reasons, it's now the 17th. Different reasons that were all on my end. It's now the 17th of September. I'm going to go for another round to get another owie that I discovered that I could never have discovered until I was resting. But an area of shame. And that area of shame for me has to do with self-esteem. It has to do with the sense of am I pleasing without doing anything. And this is where the tithe is so important because it's in returning of the tithe that God nailed, partly the tithe's purpose is God nailed shame through the tithe. Because when we return the tithe, we do not give the tithe. When we return the tithe, we're returning back to God what belongs to God. And when we return back to God what belongs to God, we remember that we belong to God. We remember who he is, that he's our daddy, and that we're his sons and daughters, and that he loves us, and that he looks at me and thinks, wow, I don't care if you're 55. You're a dashing, good-looking, handsome son of a gun. Okay, I said that. But... He looks at me and he loves me. He doesn't look at me and go, where's your muscles? He looks at me and he loves me to the core of my being. And there's something about the returning back to God, what belongs to God, that makes a return come back to you, that you realize, oh wow, God belongs to me. He's my daddy. He can't. He can't get rid of me. He saved me. For eternity, and he's my dad. You know, I was, I was reading a book, and they, they said how this speaker pulled out a $50 note, and um, I should have really brought one this morning, but I, didn't, I guess I didn't think I was going to speak on this, but the Lord just reminded me of it just now. But if, because of the fact that the tithe is how we are, remind ourselves of our worth to God. And as I was reading this book, this author was talking about a speaker, a powerful speaker that would, that would very often in, in his seminars would get out a $50 note and hold up the $50 note and say, who wants this $50 note? And everybody would put their hands up. And then he would screw the $50 note up into a ball and say, who wants this $50 note? And everybody would put their hands up. And then he'd said, okay. Fine. And then he would tear the $50 note a little bit, put it on the ground and mush it into the ground a little bit, get it all dirty, put it up and say, how many of you would like this $50 note? You are that $50 note to God. It doesn't matter what we've, who we are or what we've done or, or what we're going to do or how badly we mess up. 
The moment we said yes to Jesus, we believed in Jesus, we became a son of God, a daughter of God. No matter what our future is, no matter how dirty, no matter how wrinkly, no matter how torn, we never change in the eyes of our Father in our inherent true value to Him. Ever. And the tithe is absolutely linked to it. You see, let's read it again. Will you, will a man rob God, yet you're robbing me? Let's just change that a little bit, because now we're in the new covenant. And I know that some of you might be thinking, oh, the tithe, you keep talking about the tithe, the tithe's the Old Testament. Well, actually, I've got news for you. For everyone in the New Testament, the Old Testament was the Word of God. And when Paul wrote that all scriptures God breathed, there was no New Testament. Sharp as a double-edged sword, piercing between soul and spirit, bone and marrow. He's talking about Malachi. He's talking about Deuteronomy. He's talking about Psalms. He's talking about Proverbs. He's not talking about the book of Acts. Sorry. And so let's just read that in. Let's read this verse the way God would speak to us today as the church. Says here to the ancient Israelites, will a man rob God, yet you're robbing me. Now we could read it like this. Will a son or a daughter of mine rob me? And yet you're robbing me. My own sons and daughters are robbing me. Dang it, I wish it didn't say it. But it's the word of God. You say, well, wait a minute. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of God. How are we robbing you, God? And his reply eternally from the book of Malachi In the tithes and offerings. You're robbing me. It's like, whoa, that's a bit strong. We're robbing you, God? Yes, you're robbing me. You're robbing me of what belongs to me. See, none of this world actually belongs to you. I don't know if you figured that out yet. You know, we've just heard all in the news about Prigogine and how his plane which no doubt had, was probably something in the region, cost him something in the region of $80 million or more. And just fell out of the sky. He thought he was invincible. Turned out he's just made of dust. And that dust went back to dust. And that private jet meant diddly squat. You see, there is a day of reckoning for all things, everybody, in our own lives included. And it's, it's right to be sober about these things. And when I was a kid, when I was about 12 years old, 13 years old, my mum and dad had sent me to boarding school in England. And I kind of felt really rotten about that. I felt real bad about that. In fact, I actually, no, let's just say it real. I was really mad with them about that. I was furious about it in my innermost being. And I rebelled out of that anger. I felt a lot of shame. I felt a lot of fear. I felt a lot of control. And I felt a lot of rebellion. And so I decided that my mom and dad owed me something. So was I their son? Yes, I was their son. I snuck, into, I snuck into my dad's bedroom one day when I was on vacation in Nigeria, and I opened the top drawer of my relatively poor missionary parents. And I opened the drawer, and I looked in the drawer, and there was a wadge of money. I mean, more money than I'd ever seen. It was cash. I shut the door. I, I draw. I went back out. I looked around. 
I made sure that I was on my own and I couldn't stop thinking about that wad of cash. I went into my bedroom. I'm like, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes. Okay. That doesn't feel right to take the whole thing. I definitely would get caught if I took the whole thing. <laughs> Fantastic. And I went out and bought my first pack of cigarettes. Or a Coke. Or maybe some moi moi fried up. I felt powerful, felt in control. My money. I've got my money. I don't have to go to ask my dad for a Coke. I can go buy my own Coke. Of course, I can't enjoy it with anybody. I have to sneak it on my own around the side of the house. <laughs> Chugging the Coke. Man, but it felt so, so powerful and creepy all at the same time. And then, I liked it so much, I got back to England. But now, I realized, oh, I'm a long way from my dad's top drawer. Hmm. But I like my dad's money. Hmm. To think about this. Ha! I've got an idea. An idea alighted upon my heart. Be careful of the ideas that alight upon your heart especially when it's temptation. And I, uh, I thought about something. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the administrational office. I'm going to have a piece of paper. Please, uh, Mr. Colin A. Smith has decided to give his son a hundred pounds for spending money and I would very much be pleased if you would forward that to him immediately. Signed, Mr. Blake, my housemaster. And I took my thing with Mr. Blake's forged signature, which I thought was pretty darn good, and I handed it to the administrator. And the administrator, who was always grumpy, never looked up at me. And I loved, for the first time, the fact that they were grumpy. And they just pulled out a hundred pounds, put it on there, and said, go. And they, oh, I forgot to say, please add it to the bill. And I thought, dang it, that was amazing. And I went out and spent good money for the weekend. Got drunk. Don't look at me like that. And then, three weeks later, I did it again. And then I did it again. I did it for about four years. I stole a ton of money from my parents. And this morning, the Holy Spirit reminded me of that. And he said, that's what my people are doing to me with all their little sophisticated ways of figuring out why the tithe doesn't apply to them. Whew. At first, it's just a, oh yeah, it's Old Testament. I don't need to be in that. But then it's like, whoa, that doesn't really carry enough weight. So, oh. Yeah, well, the storehouse, you know, I've mean, got lots of storehouses. Yeah, I don't have to worry about the storehouse. Yeah, I mean, I, just, I give to missions. Yeah, I give to here and I give to there and I give to the other. You know what? Add up all your, I give to here, I give to there, I give to the other. It probably won't even come anywhere close to 10% of your income. And I just lived in my mum and dad's house with my brothers and no one knew that I was taking, 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 taking. Or otherwise known as stealing. 
otherwise known as robbing. Was my dad my dad? Was my mom my mom? Was I their son? Was I wrong? Yeah. And that's how we can be with God, everybody. You see, Jesus himself, in Matthew 23, 23, he said to the Pharisees, you tithe carefully on your mint, your dill, and your cumin. If you don't know what those are, those are herbs. Or if in England, herbs, because it has an H on it. And, (laughs) by the way, if you've never thought of this, but if you're from Italy, what language do you speak? And if you're from France, what language do you speak? And if you're from Germany, what language do you speak? And uh, if you're from Spain, what language do you speak? And if you're from Portugal, what language do you speak? And if you're from England, what language do you speak? That's right, it's herb. (laughs) Anyway... (laughs) I'm just kidding, you guys. I'm, I'm playing with you. Jesus said, You tithe on your mint, your dill, and your cumin, but you neglect the weightier provisions of the law. What are they? He lists them. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. How many of you believe that justice, mercy, and faithfulness, all of which are the law, the provisions of the law. How many of you really believe that that's a New Testament reality that you love in your life? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Amen? And so Jesus says, you should do the things that you do without neglecting the weightier things. In other words, he says, keep on tithing. You're doing right by tithing. But don't just tithe because the tithe is not as important from the law perspective as the weightier things, which is justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Those are the weightier things. But the tithe, it's not the weightiest thing in the law. The tithe predates the law. It came way before, 600 years before the law was even introduced through Moses. Abraham was the first person recorded to tithe. At least I thought so. And that's in right there in uh, Genesis 14. Except one day the Holy Spirit showed me, no, he wasn't the first. The first was Abel in Genesis 4.4. In Genesis 4.4, Abel discovered the joy of tithing. He brought the first fruits. He brought the fat. He brought the whole tithe to the Lord. Cain, on the other hand, who, by the way, if you reread it, you'll see that Cain actually came up with the idea first to give an offering to God. I mean, that's good intentions, everybody. Who was their father? God. Well, Adam, yes, the earthly father, but God was the father of both of those men. And Cain had a desire to be good and to give an offering to God. But Abel brought the tithe. He brought the first fruits. He brought the fat. He brought the best. He brought the whole and returned it to God because Abel understood something different to Cain. Cain thought, everything's mine. I'm going to give you a token of what's mine to keep you happy. Abel, on the other hand, understood, everything's yours. You've already made me happy. You make me so happy. You keep my lambs and turn them into sheep, which turn them into lambs, which turn them into sheep, which turn them into lambs. And I'm so happy with you. And look at this amazing world that we have. And I heard about everything that happened to my mom and dad. And I thought, man, you, you could have smoked them and that would have smoked me, but you didn't. You love me. And I love you. And I'm returning back to you the best. Because everything that I have is yours. You're the best and I'm going to give you the best. You see, 
This morning, I want you to know that your tithe makes diddly squat difference to your salvation. Diddly squat. You are saved whether you tithe or not tithe. You are loved by God whether you tithe or not tithe. But the bless and you are even blessed by God because you know it says right here in the old covenant, right there in Malachi. And by the way, have you ever thought that why would God choose the second to last chapter of the last book to talk about the ancient Israelites are robbing me by not returning the tithe if it was irrelevant in the new covenant? Why would the same book that Jesus references Elijah in Matthew 14, the same book prophesies in Malachi, I'm going to send Elijah. Jesus references Elijah in the Malachi passage. If this whole... In Malachi 2, he talks about, I've got this against you guys. You've been unfaithful and forgotten the wife of your youth. I hate divorce. And you've, you've, just, you've just decided, you know what? I'm done with my wife, the wife of my youth. You're gone. You're done. You're gone. Sorry. And God says in Malachi 2, I hate that. I'm not okay with that. And we carry that on into the New Testament. And we see that Jesus more or less says the same thing. He doesn't turn around and go, yeah, marriage is old covenant. Just leave it. You don't need to do it. Don't get married. No, he reaffirms and ratifies what's written in the old covenant concerning marriage in Malachi 2. He himself ratified Malachi 3 by telling the Pharisees, you tithe on these things, but you've forgotten the weightier. Do the weightier things and do the tithes. You see, here's the reason. I'm going to just say it like this. Here's the reason. God is happy. And he's pleased with you. And he's pleased with me. And he wants us blessed. In a world where everything belongs to him, it's hard to bless us if we insist on stealing from him. It's much easier for him to bless us when we're not stealing. Now, guys, do not have the mindset, okay? Because the tithe is about obedience. Do not have the mindset that says this. One day when I get my millions, I'm going to give 10%. Let me tell you something right now. A man by the name of Rockefeller, John, I think is it John D. Rockefeller? He said this. He said, I would never have tithed on my first million dollars if I hadn't tithed on my buck 49 in my first paycheck, my weekly paycheck. See, here's the deal, everybody. You don't have to tithe to be a member of this church. You don't have to tithe to go to heaven. You don't have to tithe at all. God will always love you. But he'll always think of you as a robber. Sorry about that. I didn't write it. And you can rob from your own father. You can rob from your own family. Man, that was a tough day when the Holy Spirit said to me, as a 38, 39-year-old with my own children that were rapidly growing up, and I was in Canada, executive director, and one of the pastors of the Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship, soon to be known as Catch the Fire Toronto. And there I am, and I'm grilling, or otherwise barbecuing as we call it in England, and I'm grilling, and I'm turning my sausages, and got my patties ready, and I got the chicken going, and everything's going great. And the Holy Spirit says, your mum and dad are here from England, aren't they? Yes, Lord. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'd like you to just ask your dad's forgiveness for all the money you stole from him. No, no, absolutely not. I will not be mentioning that. No, no chance. <laughs> that will not go down well. He might ask for it back. 
And you know what? My dad knew all along. Of course, I did tell my dad, and my dad knew all along. Your heavenly father knows all along. And he never asked for it back. And you know what? God's never going to ask you to retro tithe. That's the amazing thing. Because it is a principle, a joy to be discovered, laced in grace and laced in love. And it is one of the most extraordinary dynamics of faith. It requires faith, and faith pleases God. And God is a God who loves being pleased. And God, in His pleasure, delights in His kids. And He's like, if only you knew the maximum level I could bless you. But I just can't bless you to the maximum level when you're not passing the test. And then He says, test me in this. And I just want to end on this, you know, one of the big arguments that over the years people have who've become tithers is, now do I tithe gross or net? In other words, do I tithe, let's say my salary is $80,000, no, let's say $60,000 a year, do I tithe on the 60, which would be a total of 6,000 by the end of the year, or do I tithe on my actual amount that I receive in my paycheck, which amounts to, let's say, 45000 because 15000 goes to the government. And why shouldn't it go to the government? You step out of your front door, you go straight onto the sidewalk, you drive your car on the road, you go down the streets, the lamps all work, everything that the government does for you, the army goes to war to keep you safe, why shouldn't you pay your tithe? You belong to this country. You're a citizen of this country. It's good citizenship to pay your tithes. And by the way, if you rot, sorry, your taxes, they actually, you know what, the word tithe used to be what they called the tax. But... Here's the deal. If you don't pay your tax that you owe, you are regarded as not very smart. And in fact, the moment you're found out, and it doesn't take long, if you can't pay the fine associated with what you owe for not paying your taxes, guess what you have to do? You go to prison. You go to jail. Why? Because you're a thief. Okay, you've been born again into a kingdom. And that kingdom has a king. And that king has treasury. And that treasury requires you to return back to him what belongs to him. And when you don't, thankfully, he's really kind. He allowed his son to die on the cross so that you can skip jail. However, you just don't get the maximum blessing that the father, and the, who's the king, wants to give you. Are you following me? I'm doing my best to preach about tithing. For you to enter into the joy of tithing. Now, I always used to say, well, if you, if you don't want to, um, if you don't want to receive a, a gross blessing and you just want to get a net blessing, then go ahead and do a net tithe. God doesn't mind. It's not a law. It's not a rule, everybody. Right? And I used to joke and laugh like some of you are until this summer, until this sabbatical, until I sat down with, at my house in the sunshine and thought to myself, oh my goodness, something's happened in our finances. I don't think we can afford to tithe on the gross anymore. Because if I tithe on the gross, one of my pay, part-time paychecks the entire of that part-time paycheck goes towards the net pay, goes towards our gross tithe on all our other paychecks. That's not fair. And I almost slipped into a sinful, unbelieving response of saying, honey, in fact, I did say, honey, I think maybe we shouldn't tithe on the gross. Uh, let's, let's tithe on the net for a season. And of course, my wife, being the godly woman that she is, she's like, go back to your chair, start again. 
She said, it's, it's faith, honey. It's always been faith. God will see us through. Never mind if you're returning an entire paycheck. He'll, he'll give us blessings untold in other kinds of ways. So I'm like, doo, 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 doo. except it took three days of sulking. And finally, I stuck fast and kept the tithe the same. And then, my goodness gracious, within, I would like to say that was three weeks ago, we're already overwhelmed with blessings again. Let's stand. I want you to examine your heart. Do you have to tithe? No, not at all. But let me say this. This is your storehouse. Why is this your storehouse? Because this is where you come and receive. This is the part of the body you belong to. And you are invited to nourish the body. And when you think about this building, and you think about the team that run it, and you think about all of the things are you a contributor or are you a taker? And the senior leaders of this church are the number one tithers or among the number one every year. Why? Because we want to be accountable and we want to, have, we want to live the message. I'm not saying that to boast. And if there is any boasting, let it be to stimulate you further. Whatever your income is right now, my encouragement is stop stealing and return the tithe. Return the tithe into this house. I'm just going to unashamedly say it. Return the tithe into this house. And if this isn't the right house for you, go and find a right house. But when you get to that house, return the tithe. And God says this, this is the one thing you can test me in. When you return that tithe, you can test me. You can put me to the test. See if I will not open the windows of heaven and bless you outrageously. Outrageous blessing. Why wouldn't we accept that invitation? Why wouldn't we take the test? Why wouldn't we? We've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. My hope is that each one of you become a very happy joyful tither and this church explodes and goes from one level of greatness to the next to the next just like God promised Israel that we'll become the most blessed in the land amen awesome awesome word Duncan incredible thank you so much for joining us there are so many opportunities to grow connect and be encouraged to learn more, visit ctfraleigh.com and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are so thankful for you.